This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 144 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. And coming up on today's Healthy Critters Without Tigger episode, we are going to weigh in on body clipping your horse. We're going to have a chat with Tori Aleno about golden retrievers, and then we are going to tackle a really tough topic. Does your horse's tack say something about your fashion sense? I'm not Tigger. (laughs) And I'm certainly Patty. And I am Coach Jen. And you may have noticed we are without Tigger this afternoon, so we don't have we don't have the rudder. (laughs) (laughs) We don't. We don't. So this is gonna be a little bit of a free-for-all. We're gonna dumb it down a little bit because we also don't have the brains of the outfit with us today. No, we could make some stuff up, but I feel like I feel like Tigger would check into it and then yell at us. So let's she not would. do that. We're going to keep it light and fluffy today. Yes. yes. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, light and fluffy, the easy stuff. Although the chat we're going to have with Tori coming up um, is going to be fun because it's light and fluffy, but she does some really awesome and important work with those golden retrievers. So we'll get a little bit serious kind of in the middle. Perfect. But we're also going to be talking about puppies. So, I mean... <laughs> Let's face it. Can't go wrong. They're fluffy. They're fluffy. They're fluffy. fluffy. There's nothing better than puppy breath. I know. Oh, I know. That's true. That's true. So true. So on today's uh, chit chat, before we get to to talk to Tori, we are going to talk about clipping because this this episode is coming out in October of 2021. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this show in 2025, welcome to the past. Right. Uh, But we're going to talk about (laughs) clipping. Now, you are a dressage competitor. Your horses mm-hmm. compete in the wintertime in Florida. At least some of them do. So mm-hmm. where where do you and your program fall in the clipping spectrum? Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, I've been a trainer most of my adult life and um, living in different parts of the country. I've definitely, it's so weird how I've evolved and like in how, <laughs> I mean, people evolve and they figure stuff out. But Um, I am, um, I, I, well, okay. So I, I, I obviously clip because I work my horses, um, you know, anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes every single day. Um, I live in Texas, um, in the Northern part of Texas now. So we have seasons. So like today it was 70 degrees and it's, you know, 75 degrees. And so it gets chill and it gets chilly at night. So, you know, when they grow their coat, you end up, you know, uh, obviously dealing with, um, having to cool them out. And I, of course I get the, the privilege of being able to ride during the day. So I have a little bit, you know, a little bit more leeway time to get them dried and whatnot. But I, I definitely clip, but what I really have always done is once it starts to get the day shorter is I always would put blankets on to help the coat not get as full, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, um, but I'm not going to lie this year. I've just been lazy. <laughs> I've been really lazy. Well, and 2021 is, a special year as was 2020. Mm -hmm. And if you're listening to this in 2025, just go back and Google it. You'll see why. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
exactly. Yeah. So I, um, so I will clip them because we'll leave for Florida right at the end of December, but you know, I have a younger, um, a young horse that I love to turn out at night because then I know he's out all night, which is really good for him. And he likes to play and he comes in and he gets a nap in the morning and he gets ridden. So, you know, I just don't necessarily, I don't know. I just wasn't, I, I, I'm so happy. It's a little bit cooler. I don't like really cold, cold weather, but, um, I just, um, I just, I don't know. I just wanted them all to grow a coat and I'm sure the groom that works for us is going to hate me for it because they're going to have to, <laughs> gonna have to flip forward. Now, but, yeah, when, so. when you body clip horses, do they all get the same hairdo or does it vary according to the horse's work schedule and the like? Well, normally I always give everybody the same clip. Now in years prior, like if I wasn't going to Florida um, and I wasn't worrying about showing through the winter because we, you know, in Texas, we show all your, I mean, you just go South a little bit and you can go to Houston and show anytime you want. Mm-hmm. So, um, I would normally do a full body clip, but if I'm not going to show, I'll just do a trace clip. Cause honest and truly, I mean, it, the big thing for me always is making sure that you get the hair dry so that if you put them back outside or, you know, right. they're not going to have a, whatever that they're, you know, their muscles are protected. So, um, so if I wasn't going anywhere and not showing, I would just do a trace clip or I would do a full body clip, leave their head and leave their legs and leave a little spot on their back. But what I think I'll do here is just let them be fuzzy and we go to Florida clip them. Now, a lot, lot of, a lot of your horses are Baroque, are they not? Actually, I don't have any of them um, really? right now. I don't have any. No, I have all warm bloods right now. Really? And one, all warm. I do. And one very incredibly special Appaloosa gelding that um, a friend of mine um, owns that I showed through I1. So you have, you you know, is is your herd as a rule pretty fuzzy or do they tend to have lighter coats? Yes, (laughs) it depends. (laughs) Yeah, I have a, um, a, the owner of the barn has an older um, Hanoverian gelding that definitely gets a little bit she has two of them that one's 20 and one's 15. So they get, they just, we've already clipped, we've been clipping them throughout the year. One has actually cushions. So he's, I'm always clipping him. Mm-hmm. And when I say me, I mean the, the wonderful girl that works for us. Um, but um, I would say my young guy, and this is the interesting too, is that I have found when you bring your horses to Florida, um, if you do it a couple of years in a row, they tend to not grow as much coat I, because they're obviously in warmer weather. So I don't know what's the reasoning behind that. I was kind of hoping that would happen with the ones we brought to Florida from last year. That's not, they're all really kind of fuzzy really quickly. So, um, but for the most part, I would say I've got a couple that are super fuzzy and then a couple that are sort of middle of the road fuzzy. Middle of the road fuzzy. And what Mm -hmm. are your clippers of choice? Do you use the old fashioned giant 55 pound Oster's or do you have some of those higher tech wide bladed lightweight ones? So it's funny when I would do the clipping, I would get cheap shears and I'd get battery operated ones because they really, you can like, you could do a horse um, almost, I'm going to say in an hour. I, I, I'm sure it was an hour and a half. Um, the girl that does them now, the, the woman who owns the barn, Trina went to this clipper store here because we are in the reigning capital of the world and so it's big time horse country. And so there's a clipper store and the, 
when she went to the store, there a, a woman who actually does competitions in clipping horses um, suggested this one pair of clippers. And I, they're they're smaller, wide, they're wide blades, but they're smaller handheld. They are, are um, a cord. I think I don't even. There's some form of oster or oyster, however you say it. Um, but they have been awesome. Like they leave no lines. And, you know, and obviously when you clip, you get better and better at it. I don't know if you clip your own horses or not, but I just, I haven't, I, I, that's one of the few things in the world that I can tell you, honestly, I despise doing. (laughs) (laughs) I I do, I do clip my own horses, but I don't get much better at it. (laughs) I, I still end up with a lot of lines. I'm really, I get in a rush. I get about a third of the way through and I'm going, okay, I'm over this. Just let's get it done. And I, you know, I go too yeah. fast and that kind of thing. You do the whole horse or just body clip? It varies. A, it varies a great deal on whether or not the horse is going to be getting worked hard and how much hair mm-hmm. they have. I live in Central Florida year round, right. so autumn can be a little tough if you work your horse in the autumn months—September, um, October, November—and you have a fuzzy one. You'd best better clip all the hair off because it's still right. in the upper eighties most of the time. So yeah. just shave it all off and get it over with. But if you have a horse with a lighter coat, which is what my thoroughbred has, he gets gently fuzzy. It's it's really not a hardly at all a winter coat. I don't clip him at all until February because it's not all going to fall out before he starts to sweat in the spring. So right. what, what I right. end up with is a horse that can be naked up until I clip him in February. And then he has to wear a blanket usually in February and March. And that's it. By the time... April rolls around, even clipped, he doesn't need a blanket on. But I usually also give him a trace clip. That way, it's a CYA thing. And if we have a little cold snap where it gets in the 40s, mm-hmm. he's okay with a light mm-hmm. blanket. I don't have to worry about it. And he's yeah. not really super fuzzy. So even if I work him hard in warmer weather, a trace clip does the trick. Versus the yeah. pony, we have a hackney pony. Mm-hmm. His hair, we measured it. We measured it one year when we shaved it <laughs> off. Three and a half inches long. Oh my gosh. And in the in the wintertime, he's a bay with four white socks. Each sock comes halfway up the cannon. It's very regular. But in the winter, yeah. I forget what they call it. I want to say it starts with an A and I can't remember the name of the word. But some bay horses in the wintertime, when they get their winter coat, regardless of its length, the bottom of their belly, right. sometimes their elbows, will get light brown, almost tan. And yeah. their, their muscle yeah. gets tan. Well, he has that. So in right. the wintertime, when his winter coat comes in, his his hooves and his pasterns disappear completely because the hair is so long. He looks like a little okay, draft yeah. pony. And it's brown hair because the brown hair is where normally he would have black socks. But the hairs are so long, they cover up the white that's down at the bottom. <laughs> okay, that's hysterical. It is hysterical. And I, I, loved, I love when I clip him because... I I want to I want to just leave the socks there so he has these little fluffs so he looks like a a nineteen uh, seventies um, <laughs> person wearing what what were those called um, like leg warmers um, it looks like he's wearing leg warmers yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh that's hysterical that's hysterical now I'm going to be really curious what the name of um, what that is when they. Um, when they're different colors like that, because I have a, I've had horses like that and I've never really thought anything about it. Um, but I didn't realize that's, that's cool. That's so, I can't believe his hair gets three inches long. That's crazy. It is crazy. And it's Pangere, P-A-N-G-A-R-E. 
I think is what okay. it is. Okay. I, d- I did a Google that because I remembered people don't, don't think otherwise <laughs> when the bottom of their belly and their muzzle gets that kind of light brown. I think it's P-A-N-G-A-R-E. I just remembered that from a conversation we had with a geneticist one time. It was fascinating. But That's anyhow, pretty cool. Cool. Pretty so cool. one more yeah. clipping question. Yeah. Um, your program, because everybody has different um, programs that they use as far as clipping. Do you and does the dressage community in general clip fetlocks and coronets and ears, yeah. things like that? Again. This is something I've never done the inner part of the ear ever. Um, I'm, and I've never done, I, I've not, it's, I've always been an advocate of leaving the, the, you know, their muzzle. I always left the, you know, um, the, the whiskers. Why can't I think of the whiskers? whiskers, Thank you. Yeah. And that's not allowed to clip anymore. Listen up folks. Not allowed to do that. Yeah. I allowed to clip anymore. And I was really, and I had actually stopped doing it probably about five or six years ago. Um, because I just felt like it was kind of silly. And I mean, years ago, it was so important that everything was clean, clean. I mean, every Monday I had a, um, shave the side of the tail um, Mm -hmm. day and I would clip their legs every Monday. Um, I've really gotten away from that as I've gotten older. I just, because I also feel like we're taking a lot of the natural protectants away from the horses. And I, um, so I had one horse that, uh, years ago had white legs and had got cellulitis. And I was like, you know, the vet said, stop clipping his legs, you know, let, you know, let his, let his body try to protect itself. And, well, you, you, um, you so gotta, really got you gotta figure longer, denser hair is going to be better protection than shaved off hair. Good point. Uh, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So I have, um, now, I mean, when we clip them for the season, when we go to Florida, yeah, I do everything, but I never, I will never do inside their ears because, um, you know, I, and some people, some of my clients actually don't even clip their heads and I didn't know it until you get up close to them. Now I have a, my horse, my young horse is almost black. So when you clip him, there's no way you can not do his head because it would be too obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people don't do their heads. So. Oh, well, oh well, you, like when you body clip them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, back in the day, whenever we gave the horses a haircut, um, the face always, it was always part of it unless they got a trace clip because then it stopped right. right about the jowl. But otherwise, the whole yeah. head got clipped. And then late in right. life, it wasn't until many, many years later, I discovered the, I don't know what you call it, but the clip stops at a line that goes from the base of their ear to mm-hmm. their the corner of their mouth. So you only clip the bottom part of their head, which I love right. because that's the easier, fuzzier part to clean. And that gets right. s- sweaty and skanky. So I'm cool with that. I, yeah, I love the half yeah. face look. I like that. Yeah. And if you well, put a bridle on them, that's really wide. You can't tell how crooked the line is. Just saying. <laughs> that's, very, that's a very good point. And I know there's got to be um, a bunch of, I know there's tons of different types of clips and you can obviously Google that. And I'm sure there's stuff on, uh, Instagram. It's artistic Pinterest expression nowadays. It's not just clipping the horse anymore. It's artistic expression. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and that gets into a whole other subject, which is for another time, but you know how you can leave stuff on um, the rump mm-hmm. um, pattern stuff, which I think are kind of, I kind of, kind of cute. One clinic that I teach, um, the girl shows up and every time I come, she does something different like stars or squares or whatever. So she's oh always gosh. trying to outdo people, but I think it's funny in a good way, in a good way. So, uh, <laughs> I'm going to yeah, start telling people so. that all those lines that my horse has are, are on purpose. I was I was doing decorations. Those aren't lines. Yeah, <laughs> look it up. I mean, it's the new it's the new fashion craze. I'm going to do it. 
I'm that that's what yeah, I'm gonna do it too. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> there we go. So we have a wonderful guest uh, today, uh, Tori Anello, who is a um, a golden retriever breeder and uh, first and foremost a wonderful family uh, friend. Um, she's a a very good friend of my daughter Hannah, and that's how I originally met her. And uh, of course, she always has a golden retriever with her. And um, we just wanted to talk to Corey Anello about their breeding program and find out um, a little bit about why they do it and how they do it. So, welcome, Tori. Thank you for doing this. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be able to talk about um, our program and also talk about the breed. Well, it, uh, you know, I. Um, I have had many dogs, <laughs> as Tori has heard through family stories. Um, it's the one I have, the one breed I've actually never had. And um, I have been so fascinated by all of the stuff that you guys are doing. Um, so first, let's talk about um, the, the website name is a golden for you com. correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so, you know, I, what and you do this with your brother and your mother as well. Um, but just tell me, um, t- how did you guys get into breeding? How did it all start? So it, it began with my mom. So my mom actually used to um, show chows, and um, that was when I was very little and before I was even born. So she used to show them, and she used to breed them also. Um, so then, when uh, as she went to kind of be at home with her kids a little bit more. She stopped showing and uh, kind of wanted to do more of a family-friendly breed. Uh, Chows are incredible dogs, but we know they can be a little testier than Goldens. So um, so she she kind of moved over to Goldens and for just the love of the breed. And that was when I was, um, gosh, when I was eight when she got her first golden retriever that she was going to start breeding with. So um, it's been really fun to, to know the breed and to grow up with them because they are just such a loving breed and they um, – are just, they're just such great family dogs. And I think that that makes me, I never have to worry. Um, you know, Patty has met my Lucy quite a few times and I never have to worry about her being aggressive or anything like that. So I'm always, I'm always conscious and watching her, of course, but I, uh, I just don't have to worry about her. She's just so loving. And I, and I love that about the breed. You know, how do you end up picking the, you know, the, how you breed and whatnot? And do you, you have, I know you have some females, of course I've met Lucy and you also have a breeding male, correct? Yes, we do. So um, we actually have one male. Um, we actually, I'm sorry, we have two males. Um, one that lives with my brother Patrick, and then one that lives with my mom. And then we okay. have um, collectively we have four females that are of breeding age. So um, we also will then kind of go out and find stud dogs sometimes. So it's all about finding what is the proper like match for your dog. So you want to look at like what between health testing and things like that, you kind of want to look at who is a better match for your dog before you kind of make that choice. So sometimes the the stud that we own is not actually a good fit for the female that we have. So we end up going to an outside dog because of that. And is that generally because of a health testing thing? Cause we, I know that that's a very big deal in making sure um, that you are producing top quality puppies. Um, so what does it, what, what do you do in the health testing? So um, for like by the GRCA code of ethics, there are um, health tests that you should perform before you breed your dogs. 
So, um, okay. the ones that are the golden retrievers are known for dysplasia. So hip dysplasia and elbow dysplasia. Um, so we test for hip dysplasia and, um, by doing x-rays. So you can't do them before they're two years old. There are actually, um, two different types of testing that you can do. One is by a pin hip and pin hip you can do as early as six months of age. But um, it really, we have found that it's kind of best to wait until they're two because they're not fully developed at that point. Um, you know, so we, and then they also, so OFA is also another one. Um, <clears throat> so with OFA, that is the official thing that you can't do until they're two years old. And so at two years old, we x-ray their hips and elbows at the same time. Um, and we will get them certified. They give them a rating. So they'll say that they are, um, you know, good bad, fair, or poor, and also like excellent is one also. So you kind of get that right. that rating and that ranking for your dog. So we don't breed anyone who is, um, we have bred fairs before, but only to like an excellent hip dog if we were to do that. Gotcha. So they're still passing gotcha. um, their hip test, but it kind of gives them a grading of how well they are in that. So that is one thing that we look at. Um, also for elbows, so we'll look for elbow dysplasia. Elbows is not the same. They don't do a grading for elbows. It's just a pass or a fail. And then also okay. we do, um, uh, they do a cardiologist, so a board certified cardiologist does an echo and we'll check for any heart conditions and as well wow. as, um, eyes. So, and that's, so the echo, if they do an advanced echo, it's only done once in their lifetime and it can be done after a year of age, but, um, for eyes, it has to be repeated yearly and hips and elbows are also just once in their life, but eyes have to be repeated every year. So you're breeding males and females, they have to pass an eye examination every year. Correct. Yes. Um, the only time that we really kind of made some exceptions were uh, COVID. Uh, some, some eye clinics actually completely right. shut down. So as long as the dog had been eye tested before, if they were out of date by you a were, couple of months, we would make an exception because of COVID. But um, for the most part, yes, we, everyone has to be up to date in order to be bred. And that also includes their DNA screening too. So um, we'll DNA screen them for common genetic diseases associated with Goldens. And that way we can pair them appropriately with a mate because you don't want to have like an affected dog with an affected dog, so on and so forth. So you can um, right. breed, a, you know, clear to a carrier or so on and so forth. So, okay. So how, tell me about placing puppies. Now I know that um, when we've talked before, you, um, a lot of yours, and I'm probably going to say this wrong. Um, they, they go, they go as service dogs, right? Into a pro there's a program that you guys deal with. Yeah. Um, so we, um, we have had programs that we work with that our dogs are going to service work. Um, sometimes it's a, a program is looking specifically for, they usually have someone that they have in mind and they will bring, they'll come out, they'll meet the puppies, they'll pick one. Um, and then they'll bring whoever the, the puppies for to come out and meet them and pick one. And we actually have on our website, um, a review written by someone who got one of our puppies for service work and he's done a great job. Oh, oh that's great. That's, that's, yeah. So, so that must be, so is it hard to go through this? Um, so for our listeners, um, they had two years ago, I don't even know how long it was. I was over to see some puppies and they ended up keeping this one female who I named Blanche. <laughs> so Blanche <laughs> is my dog. So, um, so in the litter. And so how, I mean, so placing the puppies, how do, if people are interested in getting a puppy, obviously they go on the website, but like how, I mean, cause you generally aren't the puppies normally always sold almost before the litter is even here. Cause you have a quite a waiting list, don't you? We do. Yes. But our goal really is that we don't want to bring puppies into the world without kind of having a home pretty much set up. 
Um, you know, our goal is not to feed anything into shelters or, or anything like that by any means. Right. So like we make sure that we have people who have well thought out that they want a dog. We have interviewed with them. Um, we want to, we ask all the questions about them being prepared to raise a golden and financially as well as um, grooming and all of the physical needs that the dog will need too. So we interview everybody with that and we talk to them over before we even place them on the waiting list. And then at that point they wait until the dogs are born or the puppies are born and then they will, um, and they get to pick their, so we kind of do a little bit of both where people get to come pick their dog out, but we kind of guide them with that. It's kind of Mm -hmm. A lot of breeders do personality matching to make sure you're getting a dog that's matched to you. And we kind of think that takes a little mm -hmm. bit of the fun out of it. So we kind of let people come over and pick, but we kind of guide them in a direction for a puppy we think is the best match for them. That's great. But is it hard? Is that part hard? Oh, gosh, it's so hard. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of one of those things that um, having Lucy really helps me because I know that I've got my dog that's always and that's never going to leave. But, um, you know, the, the rewarding part is, is that the people are getting our puppies that we know are going to love them and take care of them and give them amazing lives. And that's what's most important to us. And we see how much joy we're bringing families and their kids and stuff. It just, it means a lot to be able to do that. Oh, I'm sure. Rewarding. Okay. So I've got one so. question talking about this the other day. Um, and I think this is fascinating. Jen, you'll find this is really cool. So tell me a little bit about alfalfa pellets. Oh, yeah. So um, I actually had joined this um, Facebook group about like puppy playpen setups and um, quite, I think it was like two and a half, three years ago now. And I was seeing that um, they had like their cover photo was someone who had the prettiest setup they thought. So I, I ended up messaging this um, woman and she was incredible and helpful. I was like, how do you keep it so clean? I don't, I cannot imagine keeping 11 puppies from being so messy. So she told me that she um, sets up a litter pan and so she starts them at like three weeks of age. She'll fill half the litter box or half their whelping box, excuse me, with um, rabbit trays and alfalfa pellets. And um, she will then go in and wake the puppies up and transition them onto the pellets and teach them that that's where they go to the bathroom. So I started this. I um, was not super successful the very first time I did it because it's hard. But um, then I picked up on it. And like this year, we had uh, we had a litter of 11 puppies that actually just went home this past weekend. And all of them were consistently using um, the litter box. So every week after three weeks old, um, about four weeks, we give them a little more space. And because puppies tend to not want to sleep where they go to the bathroom. So you have to do it in a really cramped area in the very beginning. And then as they get used to it, you kind of expand it more. And every week they get a little bit more space and a little bit more space. And they still continue to go to the bathroom in these alfalfa pans. And they smell like grass. Um, so it, it helps them with their house training. Actually, we've had a lot of people tell us they think that they feel like the puppies are house trained when they get them home because they're just, they pick up on it so quickly. And it's, um, it's kind of fun. And so we actually give some alfalfa pellets for people to take home and sprinkle <laughs> in their great. yard to kind of <laughs> help adjust the puppies. I just think that is, I have never heard that. I can't wait to tell Tigger this because Tigger breeds Australian Shepherds. And I just think mm -hmm. it's the smartest thing. I think it's, so literally you're getting a wonderful puppy and it's already starting the bridge to being house trained, which is the That's huge brilliant. thing. I'm sorry, but it's brilliant. <laughs> Especially the alfalfa pellets part. It's brilliant. Uh, yeah. And alfalfa smells really good. So it's like, so it takes away the smell of the puppies and it's just, it really has worked out so well. I'm forever grateful to this woman that I got this advice from and um, oh, and it's so been really great for me. So, and it keeps yeah. them clean. I mean, they really stay super clean. And it smells well, like, it great. smells well, like natural, like you said, grass, unlike people who use mm -hmm. puppy pads, 
puppy pads are scented right, to encourage yeah. the animal to go to bathroom on them, but they don't smell like anything natural. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, right? they don't, and they're and they're Classic. not, and they're not even. They don't look like anything. And I, it's right, like, at least with like alfalfa, it's green, so it's kind of you know they get that idea. But like the, I have know several puppies who started out on those puppy pads, and they have a really hard time adjusting to like then Tra- going out into the transitioning. Grass. Yes, they're like walking in these things that yeah, they're like it's like oh, what's this stuff on my legs? Like it feels weird to them because they're used to that solid pad. So. Um, it's so. yeah, it's worked out really well for us. We feel really blessed, and we've tried a couple other things. We tried the pine pellet that you, um, like pine mm-hmm. bedding that you'd spray yeah. down in a horse stall. And, um, someone had told us that works really well. And we tried that, but it was a little dusty and, um, and it just didn't mask the smell. Well, yeah. the puppy smell. So it didn't mask the smell quite as well. So, um, we, but we went back to the alfalfa pellets and it worked really well for them. So it's and you, great. you use the pe- alfalfa pellets made for bunny rabbits, right? No, we use the actual, the equine ones. They, oh, you and use it the equine great. ones. Okay. And it doesn't, in that way, if they were to eat some, so they don't typically eat a lot, um, they uh, every now and then they'll grab they'll like eat one and be like oh that tastes gross and they kind of spit it out but um but even if they were it's okay for them to eat it as long as they're not yeah, eating like the whole pan of it right yeah yes yeah. our our so greyhound lo- our greyhound loved to eat alfalfa pellets she thought they were treats <laughs> but then you know <laughs> exactly. she's a garbage gut <laughs> well that's cool <laughs> yeah well yeah it's been really fun um this is uh it's what a cool uh, all of this is so neat and um i i know um a, a couple people that have gotten puppies from you and just love them and actually have been repeat customers, which is great. But if any of our listeners are ever interested in a golden retriever puppy, I couldn't recommend these guys more. I, I know the love that goes into it. And don't you even have a puppy camera now? Don't you do a puppy cam- camera? We do. Yeah. On our website, we'll put a puppy cam up um, when we have a litter. And so you can, and it's, it's on 24 uh, seven. So you can, uh, you can tune in and you can watch them and then, you also can watch our practices. You know, we have nothing to hide. So it kind of keeps it. We're on, we're on display too. So you can see how we treat them and love them um, while they're with us. Well, um, thank you for doing this and giving us all this information. And if anybody's interested, it's a golden for you com. It's the, uh, it's, they're wonderful people and they're just fabulously raised puppies. So thank you very much. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Hetty. How are you? Well, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? We're good. You know, we're Tiggerless today. It's only it's only Jen and me. <laughs> <laughs> so we have no idea where this is going to go, right, Jen? <laughs> yeah, well, you never know what's going to happen here on World Health at Critters Radio with the world's only talking, podcasting Pomeranian. Buckle up, folks. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> Buckle up, folks. Well, we've got an important question for you. Yeah. Um, been a lot of veterinarian visits in our fur babies' lives of late. So I had a question for you. Veterinary visits, yeah. are they a necessary evil or do they offer potential for adventure? Where do you fall on that? I'm not a fan of the veterinarian, to be honest. I always go, though, if my sister has to go, I go because it is important that she be accompanied and protected by a loyal and devoted friend. 
<laughs> but if I have to go, I act like a total psycho. <laughs> oh. So you're you're good what at moral support, but not so good at going yourself. Is that what you're saying? Have you ever imagined a taxidermied squirrel with Paul Reed? Because that is what I look like as a veterinarian. <laughs> so epilepsy, a lot of shaking. So whenever you go to the vet, which is all too often because of your propensity for breaking and entering. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't go to the vet for things like that. We have panopine at home. <laughs> <laughs> and metronidazole. And last night I had myself, you know, in a podium in the middle of the night. So <laughs> I'm well covered for my various gastrointestinal needs. Don't need to go to the vet very often for that. Well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> What uh, what are the yes, most what are, what are the reasons you usually go to the vet? Why does the world's only podcasting Pomeranian ever have to go to the vet? Mm-hmm. Well, vaccinations are important. You know, even at my age, it's important to have your baby shot. And um, we recently had a very unpleasant brush with kennel cough due to another veterinarian oh. who tried to kill us. Just a monster seed. So. We all have to be vaccinated, you know, um, and oh, we have our yearly evaluations for wellness in which they admire our beautiful suits and make rude comments about any small festooning in our pantaloons, festooning often being shaving or hay or whatever. Um, if we travel to Canada, we have to have a special <laughs> health certificate, so, so, so that's an issue. What if- Mm. Mm. So, do you ha- do you ever have to get your nails done at the vet, or do you have a a nail trimmer come to your home? The servant does it. She usually tries to amputate my leg while she's at it. Cow, mm. total cow. <laughs> do do mm. you or any of your siblings ever wear nail polish? No, we also don't festoon ourselves with glitter. I explained about the hay and the shavings. Were you so? Well, horse, horses wear, <laughs> wear nail polish of sorts. They wear hoof polish, and it looks pretty darn snazzy. I think the Pomeranian would look pretty <laughs> awesome with shiny little claws. Mm-hmm. Maybe, no, maybe try you. it. Maybe try it for the holidays and see. Yeah. Okay, well, um, I'll take that under consideration, but no. <laughs> That's really big of it. If if you do decide to try some nail polish, you and your siblings, maybe make a little party of it, it would be so awesome if you posted pictures of it on your Facebook page because you have your own Facebook page, don't you? I do. And in fact, a beautiful photograph was taken of me today that's going to go on my Facebook page. What's What's your Facebook page called so those of us who are your fans can find it? Ask Hedwig. <laughs> there you go. Simple and easy to remember. Thanks a lot for hanging out with us, Hedwig. Thanks, Hedy. Bye. <laughs> and now it's time for the breed of the show. So I am still in Colorado in my mind, so I wanted to choose the breed of the show to actually be my all-time favorite, which is the moose. I was fascinated by the elk last time because it was a different experience, but I have an absolute crush on moose. 
Um, so, you know, every year that we go, I always try to find them. And I've learned a lot of things about trying to find them by studying their eating habits. So we're just going to start from the top. So the moose is the largest and the heaviest of all the deer family. Um, most um, adult male moose have a very impressive palmate. I think that's how you say palmate or open hand antler. And that's what kind of makes them very um, popular because everybody knows they have, they're just huge where other deer um, family members like the elk and regular deer have something called the, I think it's called a dendric or twig like antler. So that's the biggest thing that makes them different besides that they're just huge, massive, massive, you know, antlers. Um, the females don't have antlers because a lot of times people wonder, do they both have them? The females do not. Um, but what helps these antlers grow is, uh, is their diet. So they have, they generally eat, you know, terrestrial and aquatic type vegetation, which includes like plants and fruits and shoots from trees. And interestingly enough, they lack upper teeth, which I did not know. Really? They have lower teeth. Yeah, which I did not know. They it's very fascinating. Um, they have very sharp incisors in their lower jaws and you know other teeth there, but they don't have any upper teeth. But interestingly enough, their tongue and um, their lips are very well. When I say tough, they're you know obviously have to be tough because they eat twigs and whatnot. But their upper lip is sensitive and it can detect the difference between like fresh, like soft shoots and um hard twigs which is kind of cool so but they're often seen like around um the edge of like a lake um because they they love to eat they they just stick their heads all the way down into the water and they eat a lot of aquatic you know things aquatic vegetation so they they use their lips to check that out but they also when they do eat twigs they they use obviously their lower teeth but their tongue and the roof of their mouth to break it up which i thought was kind of cool um Another interesting fact about deer, which is completely unlike most deer species, is they're very solitary. So you really don't see them around um, any other moose. So the first year that we went to Colorado, it was right as the rut season, which is the breeding season, which is generally in the you know end of August into the fall. Um, we saw a bull. Um, following a female. So obviously he was trying to impress her or get his, to get her attention. Um, but that's pretty unusual. So normally if you see them, they're either going to be by themselves or it will be, um, the cow with its baby. And once the cow goes into estrus, I can, and I think they keep them on the, the, the cab will stay on their side about 18 months, but then they'll start to wow, push them off. So it's very time. unusual to see them. Yeah. Yeah. 18 months. That, I thought that was unusual. Um, so they're very a normal, like a very slow moving, sedentary kind of animal, except they are outstanding swimmers. Um, if you Google this, it's so cool. Um, it's, you can often see them where we go in Colorado. Um, it, it, there's a bunch of lakes around and they say often in the middle of the summer, you just see them coming across, swimming across the, the lake. Um, and they just, you know, just go on their merry way, but they're actually pretty, pretty amazing swimmers. I, this is, and this is a, a little bit of a sideline, but there has been, um, reports of up in, I guess, Alaska and parts of Canada, um, where they're obviously on the shoreline where orcas have attacked moose being in the water. Wow. I, 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 
Yeah, it's really, I, I looked it up and it's pretty fascinating. Um, but that's a whole other thing that I could talk about. But um, so they're, they're in the water a lot, which is pretty cool. Um, um, cows will pick their mates um, uh, by the size of their antlers. Um, they, the, the bulls will, they, during rut season, will do a dominant display between other bulls. Um, to get the cows, you know, attention and in heat, but, but often the deciding factor is going to be the size of their antlers. Um, as a bull gets older, they, the size of their antlers actually decrease, which I think is interesting. So, um, after the breeding season, they will shed their antlers to preserve for the winter. And in the spring, a new set starts and it generally takes anywhere from three to five months, um, which obviously is a pretty fast growing. Um, but it's important that they really keep their diet nutritional diet so if it's a a year where you know things aren't as plentiful the size of their antlers are directly related to how much they eat are eating um so another really interesting fact that i found completely fascinating so if they end up being castrated for any reason whether it's chemical or you know whatever if they end up being castrated the males will lose their antlers they'll shed their antlers within two weeks and then immediately start growing new antlers, but they're completely misshapen and they will keep them for the rest of their life. Really? That's bizarre. That is odd. I would yeah. never have guessed that. I, huh. Well, I, I just have never heard anything like I, I know. I just think it's uh, fascinating. So, um, everything you wanted to know about moose and more. I know. I, I just thought that was bizarre. Um, so both male and female have something called a dewlap or a bell, which is a fold of skin underneath their chin. They're not, they don't really know what the purpose of it is for, except there is some thought that they use it for like as a cooling function. Um, I don't know if that's the case or not, but still. It's everybody's best guess. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, males can get up, you know, can be from anywhere to like almost just under five feet to up to seven feet up at the withers. They can weigh up to 1500 pounds. Wow. Um, and the females can get up to about a thousand pounds, which again is pretty amazing. Um, and they're, you know, located, you know, all, um, all over the place, obviously Colorado, Canada, Alaska, the upper part of the Rocky mountains. Wisconsin, Michigan, Wyoming, Idaho. I mean, you know, I didn't know they were that far spread. Yeah. And, but you know, the biggest thing is that we, we, when we were talking to the Rangers this past year is that, you know, they really, um, you know, like the elk, they, they like cooler weather, but they really, they really don't like hot weather. And I think that's probably why they obviously are in the water all the time. So when you really want to see them, you're going to see them in the upper part of the Rockies, I think more frequently um, than, and I don't know if that means that you don't see them. I've never been in another part of Colorado and seen them, but, um, but they like the cold weather. So they're, they're not, they're, they're somewhat bashful in the sense that, you know, again, they're a very solitary animal and seeing them, it's not, it's not hard to, to find them, especially if you go around lake areas. Um, but you definitely would see them first thing in the morning and at night because when it gets hot, they go up into the, into the mountains and get out of the hot weather. So, oh, they just go hot. but really, 
Yep, they go hide because it gets too hot for them or they'll go swimming. But the thing about the orcas, I thought, was someone had mentioned it to me. I'm like, that's crazy. I think it was my son. And he goes, no, I've heard that. And I was like, it's bizarre. So if you Google it, there's a whole thing about um, them being attacked by orcas. Well, there you go. Huh. Things you, things you never would have thought of. Things you never would have thought of. <laughs> <laughs> Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. Well, it's time for Coffee Clatch. And since Tigger's not here, it's a free-for-all. We're going to talk about it something is. fluffy. <laughs> Good. I, will, Good. I, will, I will start with what, what prompted this quiz. Nigel, okay. the wannabe endurance horse, mm-hmm. flunked out of endurance this fall <laughs> because he developed anhydrosis. So there was no uh. work in his life this fall. Because fall in Central Florida is hotter than the face of the earth, face of the sun, so he was vacationing right. basically. So I had to find something to do because all the shows start, all the competitions start, and I was frankly pretty bummed. So to right. cheer myself up, I entered him in a dressage show. Oh, cool! Yes, we, we're doing the putt putt okay. introductory walk trot test because we only have very recently discovered canter. So. We're okay. doing the putt putt test, but I also discovered okay. he wears a full cheek snaffle bit, okay. and the bridles I use are all synthetic because a it's Florida and everything molds, and b I do endurance, so it's really easy to just clean everything by putting it in the washing machine. So that's what I have. Right. But a full okay. cheek, you can't put the bit keepers on these bridles because they all have. Um, buckle ends, not hook studs. Right. So the the little bit loops will not stay on those. You have to have hook studs to get those to stay on. So I had to go out and buy a bridle. Right. I had to go out and buy a leather bridle special for my <laughs> walk trot test. <laughs> for your one test. For, I okay. entered both walk trot tests. I'm really pushing it. <laughs> okay. okay. So I went out and I bought a bridle. So that I can put the bit loops on there so that they fit. So that was done. But as I was surfing yep. about the bridle racks in all six of the tax stores here in Ocala, yes, we have six. Um, wow. It occurred to me that the bridles didn't look a lot like the bridles I looked at a couple of years ago. They all changed. They're all different. And mm-hmm. it's, it's almost as if now, especially in bridles, but I'm sure in other parts of the tack that we put on our horses, it changes just like fashion does in men's and women's clothing. 
Yeah. Do you do yeah. you you are a professional competitor for lack of a better word. I don't know if you are technically considered a professional. I'm sure you are. And yes, you I have do. you have tack for your horses. Do you have mm-hmm. do you have owners or do you personally have the temptation to get that one because it's the newest and coolest looking? You know, it's funny. Um uh you know, years ago, um I uh, at any given time, but years ago I was teaching just, it was like a, a bunch of judges, a handful of judges that were all trying to get their scores to get to Grand Prix, their gold medal scores. And I would talk to them about like what it was like judging and, you know, whatever. And I would say most of the judges that I talked to, I was like, so tell me, you know, what do you think about the shad belly phase or, you know, the stuff on the back of the saddle? And most of them were like, yeah, it's distracting. Like I, you know, it's just distracting and my, and I, and I thought, well, that's interesting. Cause like some of it, I think if it's, you know, some people get really blinged out and I feel like it's too much. Some, some coats, I, I mean, I like, I like different color of coats. Like I like that type of stuff, but when it comes to the tack, my big thing has always been the comfort of the horse. And I get on, and I feel like every horse has a different Time, you know, shape head. My big thing is making sure they don't have a lot of pull pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you think about it, you know, you shove this thing on their face and now you're going to make them go around in a circle and hopefully they're going to do it relaxed and get a nice foamy mouth. I want to make sure their pole's comfortable. So I, I really tend to stick with one. Th- I have, I have bridles from when I was riding when I was a teenager, which I don't use because they're not nearly as comfortable. But for me, I, I don't, I don't change that kind of stuff up. Um, I know, I know that there are people out there that literally every year will get a new bridle because they like the different brow bands. I think brow bands are fun to change, but I really, I'm very much kind of just basic. Um, I mean, I, I, and I say this and then you'll probably see me in Florida and go, well, that looks blinging. Um, it's because <laughs> it's comfortable or, you know, it's like, I don't, I am not drawn to something because it's new and improved unless I feel like it's going to be much better comfort wise for the horse. Like that's always been my number one thing. Um, if it happens to have a little bling on it. Okay. I see some things that I just like, I'm like the last thing to me I want to do is take away from my young horse's head. Cause it's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. So I want, I want his focus to be on his big, beautiful eyes, not on a, his you know, beautiful eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, his eyes are so big that you can hear him blink. Um, but <laughs> it's true you really can um he needs to have his own show he's very funny but i so that's to me it's just like but there's like there's some people out there that you know some of these saddle companies that are making bridles and there's just way too much stuff on it like if you have a horse that has a blaze and four white socks that's a lot of blame so why would you want to add more to it in my opinion like why so i mean you know, if you have natural bling, why add artificial bling? But um, unless it's the only bridle you have and that makes a horse comfortable. So I, I'm always for comfort. I'm yeah. always for comfort. That's an interesting and, point. I never yeah. thought about that. But if you have a horse that's plain brown from top to bottom, a bridle with a couple of sparkles on it might just dress him up a bit. Absolutely. I yep. never thought of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. now, well, and the other thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. What are you going to say? Well, what I was going to say is the other thing too, as a professional trainer and rider, you know, when you have, when I'm out there coaching clients, like when sometimes people, you know, get these saddles with all this bling and stuff, 
Well, that draws attention to if the saddle's not sitting right or if you're not sitting right. And that's going to work against you if you, it, it's, you know, that's what the judge sees. Like if it's not, you know, it's supposed to be symmetry. So if you're sitting off to the side or it may end up making something look either worse or something that's not actually there to a judge, you know. Yes, um, yes. it can create an optical illusion, sure. Yeah, so I'm always a little careful with stuff like that, you know, unless it's yeah. a really pretty rider that really sits straight, you know, then I'm like, you know, go for yeah. it. But, you know, like when people do all this bling on the boots, I, I mean, I think it's fun to design boots, but you got to be careful. Hopefully your leg's still and quiet because <laughs> if it's not, you're so. Yeah, and yeah. Um, that, what I was going to think say just disappeared my brain about two seconds ago. Anyhow, <laughs> um, the... Forever and ever, it seems that the square white saddle pad or the square black saddle pad has been the norm. Is that still the case? Yes. I think um, one thing that I've, I'm starting to like, there's a company that I like to buy stuff from. It's in um, uh, um, in Britain, and it's um, it's called Premier Equine, and they have a, it's a fleece pad, but they ha- it's a vented like a very vented saddle pad so it's not square so it has a little bit of an off shape to it and i like that because it also makes it cooler for the horses because obviously you know being in texas in the summer it can get hot and being in florida actually quite frankly it gets hot you know it was hot in virginia so i'm always again about the horse's comfort so um yes a lot of people still do those square pads very simply like that i like these they're a little bit of a shape i think mattis makes one that's shaped um, kind of like that too, but um, I like to make sure that if I have a little less fabric on the horse so that they're comfortable, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, and that's, in, that's in something else too. I think that the size and the relationship of sizes between horse and rider. If you have oh, yeah. a relatively small-bodied horse, you don't want a whole lot of saddle pad on there because it makes the horse look even smaller. Correct. Oh, and it, it absolutely, it, that's so funny, but they do have, um, you know, like Dover and some of these online places will have saddle pads that are shorter from the front to the back for, a because like a lot of these Iberian horses have small, they're smaller and their backs are smaller. And so yeah, you, you put a regular, regular dressage pad on them and they look like they're wearing a, a turnout sheet. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and that also becomes a distraction if you're showing. So it's really important to get the right size, which is, you know, when you have smaller horse and there's this whole small horse division thing that you can do through USEF, which is great. But, um, I was helping a couple people with small horses and I was like, yeah, you got to fix the saddle pad. They, it cannot be that big. So you get, some people just get like pony saddle pads. Like there's pony polo wraps, you know, right. that aren't as long. They yeah. do the same thing with the, the saddle pads. Interesting how that is. So one of my, one of the things I think about, it's not going to make a difference. I'm doing the walk trot introductory test. We're going to spend most of our uh-huh. time snorting. So all of this other right. stuff is irrelevant. If I can manage to get down the center line and do the transitions mm-hmm. within six meters of where the letters are, I'm going to be so excited. Uh-huh. Um, but my horse <laughs> has... <laughs> yeah, keep, keep your expectations low. We're going we're gonna to go for a endurance warm-up before our dressage test, which means we're going to go out and trot for five miles before we do our test. Okay. <laughs> That's going to be our warm-up. Good warm-up. Good That's going to be our warm-up. Good plan. Um, he, has a bl- he has a narrow blaze. 
the whole way down his face from right up under his forelock, right down to his lips. But just above his cheekbones, it veers slightly off to the side. And it keeps Uh going off to the side. So when you stand in front of my horse, he always looks like he's tilting his head because of where the blaze mm-hmm. is. And I've got I've right. got this thing in my brain. It's like every time I go down the center line, all the judges are going to go, look, he's in, horse's head's crooked every time he goes down the thing because that's what it looks like. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because that, that's, a, that's a really common thing. So that would be another reason why you wouldn't want to draw attention to his to, face to, yeah, with, with back. Yeah. Because that is that is a thing. That absolutely is a thing. That's Yeah, that's, that's kind of funny. It's sort of like I'm sure you've heard before, you know, people used to say, don't buy um, a horse with uneven socks because yes. the one sock leg is going to look like it's moving more forward than the yes. black leg or the yes. brown leg. Um, I think that, you know, that's not as much of a thing as when you have, because I have a, a big black horse that if I don't have him properly in the outside rain, he absolutely looks like he's tilting. <laughs> there you go. And so I feel your pain. But I have a very plain black bridle on him, so it doesn't it doesn't like draw yeah. anything to his. When I and when I first yeah, got him, it didn't register. When I first got him, I was just sure he was that crooked because he had been a vacationer most of his life, and he was crooked in a lot of places. So I, I would watch him walk towards me, right. going, "Oh gosh, is he messed up? Oh, what a hot mess he is!" And then right. I, I was he was standing perfectly still on the cross ties one day, and I went. What am I thinking? He's not really crooked. It's his the it's the blaze on his face that's crooked. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, that is so. Because I I looked at his ears oh, instead of his white blaze down the middle of his face. Wait a minute, his ears are straight. If I look at his cheeks, mm-hmm. those are straight. It's the hair. It's the white hair. <laughs> it's, it's it's there. But you know, a good judge is going to look at their ears and not look at well, <laughs> and, precisely, and precisely, blaze. and so. and that the ears are going to be going like radar. And they're going to be doing lots of exciting mm-hmm. things. So he won't even notice what right. the rest of the horse is doing. <laughs> yeah, because he's going to be going too fast. He's going to be going right. too fast or he will be running for the hills because Nigel will come down the center line and go, oh, look, I need to knock that over. And yeah, it could be that too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, just once you can just go for your geometry. Just go for geometry. <laughs> go for the, I'm going to ride the horse that I have in the moment and we're just going to have a high uh-huh. old time. <laughs> And, and enjoy yourself. That's the best thing. Oh, that's so funny. That That's so funny. What are you doing this? Uh, this weekend. It's going to be on the 24th of October. It will be okay. Nigel's first ever in his life horse show. Because the only competitions he's ever done have been endurance rides, which obviously don't okay. involve any kind of an arena or anything vaguely resembling an arena. Uh, so, right. And I'm going to hopefully take him out to the horse show venues right down the street. It's at the Florida Horse Park. So it's only about 20 minutes away. Uh, hopefully I'm going to take him down there and school him in one of the arenas before the horse show. Cause he's never been ridden on footing of any kind. Okay. And they have the fancy Wardley Martin or something footing in these giant right. arenas in the middle of the, of the property. And I'm not too sure what he's going to think about the footing. So I'm going to hopefully, well, take him down there just, just a couple things to think about. So when you go and even this week, when you're working at home, have make sure he rides towards something because when you go down center lane even though you walk in you want to ride him towards something so he gets used to that and tell him what a good boy is and then when you get in the arena you want to make sure you go by the judge's booth both eyes so like go by it and around and go by it again so that because they see things different out of both eyes so that's 
And I'm not sure I've, I've not gone to any of these shows before. I've, I've kind of looked at them at a distance from at the other side of the park where I ride. Uh, I don't know if right. they have the judges in a car or in one of those little dining fly screen tents, or I don't know what we're going to come up with, but we're going to be there. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to, yeah. And so just be prepared, man. Be prepared. <laughs> be prepared. I'm going to put a little, a little great. extra stickum on my boots. Mm-hmm. Do, do dressage riders use saddle tight and stickum and stuff? Yeah, some do, um, and I guess they still do. I haven't, I haven't seen it in years, but I'm sure they still do. But I know that, like, when you're teaching people, when I'd be trying to t- help people with the sitting trot when they were first doing it, it was a great thing to use. Um, but yeah, no, some people, and it's funny for some reason. At some point, I thought like it was outlawed, but I don't know if that's actually true or not. Yeah, that's a good um, question. I know, I know, it's perfectly legal in other things that I do, and I'm sure it isn't dressage but yeah and i did discover the first time i ever used it with my synthetic saddle a mm-hmm. little a little sit tight tacky spray goes a long way with synthetic tack <laughs> it's much much grippier than leather tack <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Ooh, just, I'm just staying right there and i'm not moving so yeah make sure when you get in the saddle you want to be exactly where you want to stay <laughs> yes because i'm it's like i'm sorry i sat crooked and i'm stuck now <laughs> oh that yeah that's that would not be. I, I put I'm my I put my left leg on him and couldn't get it back off. <laughs> that's when you go. It's the equipment. It's not me. It's the it's equipment. Not, it's not me. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Well, that that's very interesting. So obviously, like me, you have a very workmanlike point of view when it comes to your horse's accoutrements. Now, when you compete, hoof polish mm-hmm. or not? Um, no, I no. I, I, well. Uh, not at the lower levels. When you when you when I get up to FEI, um, yes, I I just make it a little bit, and I don't I don't use like a hoof polish that um, I forgot what they used to call the absorbent, but I'll just use like an oil to make their feet. Okay, look so a you use bit. A, a shiny oil based hoof conditioner versus the mm-hmm. dry kind that looks like fingernail polish for a human. Correct. Got it. Because I just know that's not great long term, so I just don't do it. Got it. Something I discovered because my horse, we're veering way off topic here, but I couldn't help myself. I know. My horse wears glue on shoes. And right. the part of the finishing process after the shoe is on and the glue is cured, which only takes 10 minutes, the last thing that right. the farrier does is take super glue and she squeezes it onto the hoof wall and smooshes it all around to help seal everything, to, to help the glue. Mm-hmm stay on for the required four and a half weeks, even though it's, you know, sometimes really swampy here in Florida and it's very effective. But one of the, one of the side effects is it's really shiny and it stays that way. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of farriers here use the super glue on the hoof wall when they're finished, even when they use regular nail on shoes, it seems to be pretty popular. Uh, Yeah. I, I, I've known, them to do that actually over the nail holes. So yeah. I've heard of that too. Yeah, it's pretty funny. So I, th- I thought, that, hey, <laughs> look at that bonus. It. it makes his feet shiny because I can't you because he wears glue-ons, I can't put hoof conditioner on his feet because... Exactly, because the oil would break it down, yeah. You oh, got it, funny. exactly. Uh, so that's interesting. So, you, so getting, when, when, you get to, when you get up there to the top levels, then you're going to polish them up because you have to, to be at your shiny best because you're going to be on USCT TV. Right. Yeah. Well, and I'll give more than judge. So when you're when you're doing like a CDI or you know you often have more than one judge, so there's going to be a, there's going to be more eyes looking at you. Yeah, yeah. There you so, go. There you there's go. that. 
Well, yeah. thanks a lot, Patty, for hanging out with me. Tiggerless. Nope. Tiggerless. We did. We did fine. I, I, I don't think she'll come back and say, wow, what were you talking about? I think we did good. <laughs> we did good. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. Rap with your raptor. Go chipping with your chipmunks. Forgive your fox. While hedging your hog. We also recommend that you rack with your raccoon. Gyrate with your giraffe. Meditate with a meerkat. Uber with your orangutan. Facebook with your flamingo. Ponder with your panda. Walk with your wookie. Yawn with your yak. Twitter with your toucan. Go raining with your reindeer. Dropbox your dragon. <laughs> <laughs>